And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, we see some future tribulation predictions. Some basic questions are raised and answered. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. So let's circle back to our passage, Joel 2. And I want to read verses 28 and 29 with you at this point. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Whereas uh, verses 28 and 29 look ahead for the future millennium, Verses 30 and 32, which we'll see shortly, look down the road to the nearer future for Joel, the tribulation. Now let's see what he saw about the tribulation. Remember, that precedes the millennium. Seven years that precede the millennium. God showed Joel something about that too. Verses 30 to 32. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth. Blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Remember, I shared with you in this sermon, if you want to read all of the detail on the predictions of the future tribulation seven years, read Revelation chapters 4 through 19. But here, Joel was able to see some things about that future tribulation, at least four things he saw. Number one, he saw there will be a visible and dramatic phenomenon trumpeting the arrival of the tribulation. In other words, the tribulation will not sneak up on anyone like the rapture return of Christ will have done. Verses 30 to 31 say that God will send visible and dramatic phenomenon to announce the beginning of the tribulation. Verse 30, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood for the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And then secondly, not only will there be visible and dramatic phenomenon announcing the tribulation, secondly, there will be people saved from their sins in the tribulation, and they will be saved in the very same way that we are saved in the church age, that is, by God's grace, through faith in God's Son and His work. That's how people will be saved in the tribulation. And therefore, there will be total impartiality regarding who will be saved by Christ in that future time. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. That was the prophecy. In the future tribulation, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be delivered from sin. Let's see that in verse 32a. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. So, there will be visible and dramatic phenomenon to announce the tribulation. Second, people will be saved in the tribulation the very same way that we are saved. And third, Joel was shown that in the future tribulation of those people who are saved from their sins, some will physically survive the Antichrist persecution of the Christians. 
Remember when I was over here in the seam between the ending of the tribulation and the beginning of the millennium? The seam event is the second coming of Christ. If you trust Christ at the very end of the tribulation, you can physically survive the second coming of Christ and you can physically enter into the millennial kingdom with a body that can reproduce. And so Joel was showing that in verse 32b. For on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape. And fourth, the prophet Joel was shown that it is the Lord's call which draws people to God's salvation in Christ during the tribulation. And it is the Lord's call which leads some of the tribulation converts to physical survival. Unlike Survivor on TV, it isn't outwit, outplay, outlast. It's God's grace seeing someone through the tribulation for God's purpose and having them enter the millennium, having survived the tribulation. And Joel was showing all these things these many centuries before when he lived and ministered and wrote scripture. He was shown by God there'll be visible and dramatic phenomenon trumpeting the arrival of the tribulation. He was shown that people will be saved of their sins in the tribulation by trusting Christ alone for salvation. Whoever calls out to Christ as Savior by faith will be saved. Third, he was shown that of the people who are saved in the tribulation, some will physically survive the tribulation and enter the millennium. And fourth, Joel was shown that it's the Lord's call which will draw people to salvation in the tribulation, and it's the Lord's call which will lead some of those converts of the tribulation into physical survival in the millennium. So let me wrap this up. So it seems to me that some basic questions are raised by all this. Like, why would God bother to show an 8th century B.C. prophet details about future events that are still future to us as 21st century believers. Why would God do that? Well, because sometimes the future is best understood in the context of the past. It also shows that God keeps his promises. If God told an 8th century B.C. prophet Joel what he was going to do down the road all those centuries, and then in Revelation, in the first century, when Revelation was given to John on Patmos, and the same details about the future were given, it shows you that God's unchanging, and faithful, and dependable, and sovereign. Those are good things for us to know about God. That's why God would bother to show an 8th century B.C. Joel what's going to happen still future to us as 21st century A.D. believers. Second question, will any of us be in the tribulation? Maybe you're wondering that. Only if we are not saved when Christ makes his rapture return. When Christ comes in the air to gather out his church, if you are not saved, you are not taken happens medically in the twinkling of an eye. I've told you a doctor told me once that's five sixteenths of one second. So you won't have time to see Jesus in the air if you're not saved and say, I trust him to be my savior. It will happen like that. And everybody you know who's redeemed and born again will vanish worldwide. And you'll be left. Maybe you've heard and heard the gospel. You know that Jesus died for sin and arose. You understand it, but you've never personalized it. 
Maybe you think you're not too big of a sinner, so you don't need a Savior. Or maybe you think when you get old, after you've sown your oats of being young, you'll trust Christ to be your Savior. Well, I'm here to tell you, when the rapture event occurs, either you're ready or not. Be ready. Be ready. If you've trusted Christ before Jesus comes for the rapture of the church, then you will go with him. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4, would you? 1 Thessalonians 4. There was a church in Thessalonica that thought they'd been left behind, that the rapture had happened and they were missed. And God led Paul to write to this church at Thessalonica these words. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that is, dead, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, that's the rapture, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. There it is, the Latin verb, rapturio. will be raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. If you know Jesus as your Savior by faith, at the instant of the rapture of the church, you go. Without exception, you're not left. But if the rapture of the church, you are not regenerate, you are not redeemed, you are not converted, you are not born again, you stay. And you go through the tribulation. You can still trust Christ to be your Savior in the tribulation, but you will die a horrific death, most likely, if you wait to trust Him in the tribulation. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas, and today we want to continue to talk about Jesus and influence. And as you remember last time, we talked about how each one of us can influence people, and we remember as the disciples left everything to influence the world, to be disciple changers for Christ. And today we want to continue to, to just talk about that, and today we want to talk about practice what you preach. And let's be honest, there are many people in our culture, in our world today, that would say they're a Christian. We live in a religious place, as we consider the Bahamas. We, we know and we could quote scripture. Um, you, you, know, you watch the Parliament Channel. You, you, anyone can quote scripture. Now, it may not be in the right context, but they can quote scripture and they can say different things. But today, we need to ask ourselves, do we practice what we preach? You know, when you consider a, a sports athlete and you consider what practice is about, practice is something that you continually do to get better. Practice is something that you continually do to improve your skills. But for us as Christians, we need to practice. We need to allow ourselves to portray Christ. We need to allow ourselves to not hinder our testimony. Because the reality is for us as Christians, the only thing we have in our lives is really our testimony. We can hold on to our testimony and people watch us and see us. And what we what we do, you know, too many times in, in our churches and as we consider, you know, there are many people who use the excuse that I don't come to church because the church is full of hypocrites. And the reality is, is that when we consider that, you know, none of us are perfect. You know, none of us have it all together. None of us can say that, you know, we are, you know, the perfect person to watch. But as we consider the life of Paul and Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 said, 
you know, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. Again, as we imitate someone, we become like them. And this morning, as we consider practice what you preach, we want to look at a very familiar passage that many of us, um, you know, we know and we have heard over and over in our lives. But I think sometimes we forget it. I think sometimes that we don't live up to it and we don't try to pursue it. Because let's be honest, as we consider, um, our, as we grow up and, you know, our parents tell us to do different things, you know, people always say it went through one ear and went out the next. Because, you know, our parents may have told us to do something and we didn't do it. But this morning we want to look at James chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. And it says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he looks like. Just want to stop there for a second. As we consider the first part, be doers of the word and not hearers only. You see, we have to understand that we need to do what we say. You know, we come to church and we hear the messages and we hear all these different things. But the reality is that the message didn't change because we're not applying what we hear. You see, it's just like a coach telling you to do this to improve your skills and you don't do it because you think that you have it together. But we need to understand that as we consider as Christ and his word and, and it tells us what exactly we are to do, we need to be doers of the word. We need to be doers of what he tells in his word because this is what changes our life. This is what our manual, our playbook is. And we need to follow the playbook. And verse 23, it says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. You see, when we consider this and we, we look at our lives, we are not just to hear it. And we, we, we could just look in the mirror and not change a thing. You know, we may be a person who looks intently in a mirror at our face and we see dirt in our face or whatever it may be. And we don't wipe it off. We just let it stay there. And that's what happens sometimes. We, as Christians, we hear it and we know the truth and we know to do different, but we don't do anything because we're not applying it to our lives. We let the, you know, the word not, you know, gain a root in our lives. We allow the, you know, the things of the world to come and take it away as we could think of the parable of Soa. And we allow things to take their place. But I think that as we practice what we preach, you know, we practice the Word of God. It will be seen in our life. It will be seen in everything that we do. Verse 24 says this, For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. Again, as a person intently looks at the mirror, he sees everything about him. He sees what's on his face, whatever it may be, whatever it is. And we need to understand as we consider that, that as Christ's followers, we need to follow whatever he says in our lives. Whatever he tells us to do, we need to follow because he knows what's best. And this is how we're going to have the greatest influence because if we are following Christ and we're doing whatever he tells us to do, then we are being the influence that he wants us to be. Maybe not what the world may consider the best influence, but we need to understand that as a Christ follower, we are following him. And we are doing whatever it is to be a good influence for him. You know, as I consider uh, my life, um, there are times in my life that I, I need to be reminded of this, that I need to not just hear the word or, or just study it to just study it, but I need to know it. I need to be able to do it. I need to be able to apply it. You know, when I consider in school, as you as school is closed now, you know, you may have studied for exams, and let's be honest, we get to a point where we cram sometimes, and we think that, 
You know, the, 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 the stuff that we have learned, it doesn't become rude in our lives or our thinking or what we have done. And we just study to pass a test. But what happens is when the summer is over and we go back to school, we have forgotten every single thing that we have been taught the, the, the year before. Because all we did was we did it to pass a test. But I think too many times as we consider our lives and we look at whatever it is, you know, we got to remember that Christ is telling us that we need to be not just hearers, but we need to be doers. In fact, in verse 25, it says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, who forgets but a doer, who acts, will be blessed in his doing. Again, we need to make sure that we're not just doing this to, to allow ourselves to, you know, when we consider to look into the Word, that the Word is changing us. The Word is changing everything about us. So I want to just challenge you as, as you listen to this broadcast and you consider, you know, practice what you preach. You know, don't just be a person that talks the Christian life or as you wear these Christian T-shirts and you know all the sayings and you can sing the songs and you raise your hands and you do all these different things. But be a doer. Be a person that truly lives that out. A person who lives the life of Christ. The person who lives the life of, of a born-again believer. And we want, we want to continue this as we consider another passage of Scripture in our next broadcast because this is very important for us because I think that if we can get this as Christians, then we can practice what we preach. This is a good way for us to really bring others into a, a relationship with Christ because we're bringing a good influence over them because they see Christ living in us. Today's Help for the Hearing segment is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church's Christian Counseling Center. The center is located at 58 Collins Avenue, Nassau, Bahamas. If you would like an appointment or more information, dial 323-7000. That's 323-7000. Or email them at cccbahamas at gmail.com. And now, the Executive Director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. Good morning. It's a privilege for me to have in the studio with me this morning, Deborah Arnett. She worked with the Christian Counseling Center for some five years and was very involved with uh, dealing with children and parents, but especially children and we are blessed to have her today, and she will be sharing a little about parent-children relationship. And one of the questions, Deborah, I would like to ask you this morning is, what is one of the greatest challenges impacting the quality of parent-child relationship in our country today? Um, I think one of the things that has become very apparent in our culture um, is the loss of honor or the losing or dying of honor. To clarify what I'm talking about more specifically is that there appears to be an absence or an atrophying of honor between parents and their children. You would often find within Christian communities or within a church community that teachers, parents will quote Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, that children should obey their parents and that this is the right thing to do and that they should honor their father and their mother so that they will have a long life. But there are a number of factors that I think inform whether or not a child responds to that suggestion 
or to that command that the parent or the teacher may be asserting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I observed through my interactions with adolescents that often some of the factors that atrophy honor include hypocrisy that they observe in their parents' lives. So that would be a conflict between the parents' words and their actions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that attitude, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And a lot of our adolescents perceive that to be deceitful. Um, they find it difficult to honor their parents because they find that they're being asked to live by a standard that the parent, him or herself, are not prepared to live by. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is very frustrating to the adolescent. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a lack of integrity. So even if the parent would admit, I don't abide by these things, I don't think there's a need to abide by certain rules and regulations within the culture, it's difficult for a child to honor a parent who's violating rules and regulations that the child may feel is viable, important, or that a child's teacher or grandmother may be encouraging, but the parent is not necessarily supporting. And then within our culture, there are a number of cultural attitudes, whether it be by the media, whether it be by personalities within the culture, that mock parenting and that mock parental instruction. So you'll find that a lot of adolescents are struggling with, should they engage this parent's advice, instruction, or should they go with the cultural attitudes. Mm-hmm. And so if their friends are like, oh, your mom's just freaking out, don't worry about her, do your thing, then it's very difficult for that adolescent to engage in healthy choices that would promote honoring the parent and living a life of honor. What I'm hearing you say is, number one, the child wants to make sure that the parent is not living a double standard, whereas she tells you what to do but they themselves are not doing doing what they are asking you to do. Right. That's one of the many factors that could inform a child's openness to honor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think another factor would be the parent's absent. Okay. absence. And that can be physical absence, but that can also be emotional absence. Right. So you're living with your parents. They do have a standard for you. It appears as if they abide by this standard, but they're not necessarily emotionally invested. Mm-hmm. So it makes it a little bit more difficult for you to buy into that just because you're kind of feeling like they're just coming into your space, dictating, and then vacating the space. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't feel as if they're pursuing a relationship with you. They're fostering intimacy with you. They're interested in knowing you. A lot of parents will describe their efforts to give their children things, Mm -hmm. but they're not describing the effort to give their child themselves. And that is a struggle for a lot of adolescents. Well, you've given me this stuff. I want this stuff, but I still don't have you. And then I often find with parents, there's this attempt to foster honor through acts of fear and power and force. So they lord over their children. And that approach is not often efficacious Mm -hmm. in promoting a healthy, honoring disposition or attitude in your child Mm -hmm. because you find that this style can be intimidating for a season, but it can also be off-putting and it can also evoke anger and rage. And some children reach a point in their journey where they're not prepared to honor their parents anymore and they don't care if they die in the act of fighting a specific cause or position or physically um, engaging in an altercation with that parent. Okay. And then finally, um, I would suggest another factor that is atrophying honor would be the words that the parent is speaking over their children. They're not speaking life. They're cursing their children. They may not be using expletives, but they are saying a lot of death. Yeah. Yes. Um, articulating a lot of death. You will become nothing. Right. You are nothing. Right. You're just like your father. Right. Right. And he's nothing. Okay. Thank you very much. We will continue from here next time. And now today's personal God story. 
My name is Miranda and this is my testimony. I am 15 years old and I grew up in the Bahamas. I have a sister and I live with both my parents. Both my parents lived in Christian homes and environments so it's not so hard for me to adopt their Christian ways such as like going to church every Sunday and reading the Bible. Before I got to know Christ, I thought that he was just this being who helps people. He didn't really influence my life that much, but after getting to know him, he did. I don't have an interesting story to tell about how I came to know Christ. I barely remember the experience, if I'm being honest. I do remember that I was very young. When I was around the age of 10, my Sunday school teacher told me that when I feel guilty, that's the Holy Spirit living inside of me. On that day, I knew for sure that I was saved. As 1 John 3 verse 21 says, Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence towards God. This verse lets me know that I have biblical assurance that I'm saved. I've always understood that sin is all of the bad things that we do, even if we're not aware of it. I understand that faith is wholeheartedly believing and trusting in something. In my high school years, I joined youth group. Youth group allowed me to express myself and be me without judgment from anyone else. I was able to interact with children who had similar problems like me and then find solutions to them. Youth group was my escape from the world, the, peer, the world of peer pressures and just bullies. After joining youth group at my church, I also joined children's ministries where I was able to interact with younger kids and help them through some of the challenges that they were going through themselves. Interacting with younger kids meant that I had to be an example for them because they were always watching me. My spiritual journey is very much unfolding, but I'm learning new things every day. Like you should repent when you do something wrong, even if you're not aware of it. I know now that not everyone is perfect and that everyone will make mistakes. Repenting makes me feel so much better about myself and it gives me another chance to do what I'm told to do by God. As 1 John 1 verse 9 says, And if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You must know that God loves you no matter what you do or say. As Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You will be tempted on your spiritual journey, but as Hebrews 12 verse 1 through 2 states, let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.